in connection with the question, what do we know about the truthfulness of God from the Bible? We have been discussing a tenth objection which has been raised against the truthfulness and consistency of the Bible and by implication against the divine author of the Bible. This objection relates to the nature of salvation. It is affirmed by many that one act of faith secures the dismissal of all penalty of past, present, and future sins, so that the true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ cannot come under condemnation again. If this be so, it is objected that many passages of Scripture plainly set forth the conditionality of future salvation, and thus we have the problem of reconciling the two. In our consideration, we have seen from many passages of Scripture that the Old Testament as well as the New Testament insists upon a continuance in faith and obedience until death as a condition of final salvation. Also that the very tone of the Bible is definitely in this direction, that men are not at liberty to continue how they will and be saved notwithstanding. And so we have seen overwhelmingly that this is the case. Now secondly, if we allow the Bible to speak for itself and take literally its words at face value, the promises of the gospel relate to the possibility of the forgiveness of sins. Nothing is said about the forgiveness of future sins. The very idea of the gospel in its insistence upon repentance is that there are to be no present sins. If repentance is not a forsaking of all sin, then what is it? The very promise of the angel to Joseph was that his virgin-born foster son, Jesus, was going to save his people from their sins, not in their sins. Our Lord Jesus told a man whom he hath healed and forgiven, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. The Apostle Paul seemed very indignant at the thought of present or future sins in the lives of true Christians who had experienced the marvelous grace of God. In Romans chapter 6, 1 to 4, he wrote these words. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, or perish the thought, or how could such a thing be? How shall we that are dead to sin, live any longer therein. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life, or walk about in newness of life, with great spiritual vigor. He made it very clear that we may gauge our ownership by our manner of life, and that all sin was unto death, no matter who committed it. This is brought out in Romans chapter 6, 
verses 16 to 18. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? Here are the two pathways, sin unto death, obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Here is a marvelous transforming power of the gospel in operation. James made it clear that when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. In his first chapter, verse 15, the Apostle John was more explicit than all that sin does not characterize the life of the Christian. He wrote in his first epistle, chapter 2 and verse 1, that if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. He did not say when any man sin, as though it was expected that the true believers should continue in sin. He waxed so bold under inspiration as to say, in the third chapter, verses 8 to 10, the following words, He that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God neither he that loveth not his brother. We are to understand these verses by emphasizing the present tense. And so we see that if anyone is practicing or keeping on in the commission of sin, he is not born of God by the apostle's own declaration. But most certainly, sin is not to be expected in the lives of all who have experienced the wonderful transforming grace of God. The Bible then continually speaks of the forgiveness of sins. Nowhere does it teach or infer that there is anything mysterious about it. A sin is a distinct record against us in the moral government of God. If the government of God was also concerned about future sins, then certainly the Bible should explain this strange fact. But further, the Bible was not written for educated theorizers, but for common, unlearned folk. It was the purpose of the Lord Jesus to make the things of God so plain and simple that none who had ears to hear need falter nor be confused. So in the absence of any explanation beyond what is written, we are bound to take the invitations of the Word of God at face value and understand that God is promising the forgiveness of past sins by His great grace and mercy and a wonderful reconciliation 
to partake of the divine nature. We may read uh, such passages as the following to set this matter before us. For example, in Psalm 32, 1, we read, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Certainly the basic concept here is that his past sins or the sins that he has committed are forgiven and covered and dispensed with. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 and 7, we read, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Here the prophet sets before us the way of salvation to be the pardon of past sins. And we have the explicit direction that if anyone is to be saved, he must seek the Lord while he may be found. He must forsake his sinful ways. He must acknowledge his very sins to the realm of the thought life. And so we come to the New Testament. And in Mark uh, chapter 1 and verse 4, we read concerning John the Baptist. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Certainly the concept is clear that John was speaking of the forgiveness of past sins or the sins that had been committed up to the time of his preaching. In the sixth chapter of Matthew, our blessed Lord has given his disciples what we might call the disciples' prayer. And in the twelfth verse, we read these words, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And in verses 14 and 15, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Here we have a parallel thought that our forgiveness of one another is similar to God's forgiveness of us. How could we conceive of ever forgiving anybody for things he hasn't done against us? as yet. And certainly God would distinguish his forgiveness from ours if there was a basic difference. In the ninth chapter of Matthew, verses 2 and 6, we have an account of how the Lord Jesus dealt with the sin question. Here was a man sick of the palsy which was brought unto him. And he said, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And then when there was some objection to his authority on the basis of forgiving sin, he said these words, But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thy house. Certainly no one suspicioned here that he was talking about the forgiveness of future sins. In the 17th chapter of Luke's Gospel and verses 3 and 4, our Lord is instructing his disciples that they were to forgive their sins of their fellow men upon their repentance. 
and our Lord left no instruction that God operated on any different basis. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Certainly we cannot forgive upon the basis of future sins, and certainly God's method of operation must be the same. But we shall continue this reading in our next visit. Our Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the clear plan of salvation that thou hast set forth, and for its profound simplicity. We thank thee that sinners may come to thee in repentance, and that thou wilt direct them to the consideration of the cross of Jesus Christ, and through faith therein they may be forgiven and be restored to thy favor and love. May many do so today. In Jesus' name, amen.